party is going to be December the 10th. Does it start what at 6? 6.30. It'll start at 6.30. And it's going to be a potluck dinner. And you can see Mary Morgan. Mary, raise your hand. Or sign up in back for whatever you're going to bring. And also we're going to decorate the church this Tuesday, which will be November the 30th. Uh, Cindy's not here, but Cindy, if you hear this, bring your ladder. Also, we had word today that uh, the daughter of Evelyn Estes, her house burned down, and her name is Costa Caldas, and if you will keep her in prayer, that always is would be a traumatic event. I think that covers it. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of your faithful provision. It's a beautiful day. You've given us the freedom, the, this local church, your word, the grace system of perception, everything that we need in order to fulfill your plan. We can't do that unless we are positive towards your word, unless we concentrate or unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit which we've already taken care of by acknowledging our sins to you. So we pray that you will clear the decks of any clutter in our souls so that we can concentrate on your mighty word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you will take your Bibles and open to first, no, not first, just Joshua. So used to saying first Thessalonians. Yeah, turn to first Joshua. But don't be looking for the second. <clears throat> Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament. Comes immediately after the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch being the books of the law. Why don't we just read verses 1 through 5, bring us up to speed. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, that would be the Mediterranean Sea, towards the setting of the sun, will be your territory. 
No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. You know, verse 6 is where we're going to pick up our study today. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Well, the Israelites had great opportunity. They had great potential, but they also had a great challenge. First of all, they had to cross a river that seemed to be impassable. And then they were to take over the promised land, which was everything that it was promised to be. The only problem was it was already inhabited. It was inhabited by uh, people who were bigger and stronger and outnumbered the Israelites. And so God gives them this direct command. Cross this river, cross it here, and take over the land. And so what we see following is uh, many of the encouragements of the Lord. You remember what I said they needed to do last Sunday? The theme last Sunday was trust the Lord and start walking. We don't always know what's ahead. We can't always figure everything out. But what we are to do is, number one, trust the Lord, and then start walking and let Him sort out the rest. So they did that, but we're not to that point yet. First of all, let's look at the first phrase in verse 6 that says, Be strong and courageous. This is some of the encouragement that God is going to give Joshua. And you remember what Joshua's name means, Yeshua in the Hebrew, which means salvation. It is translated into the Greek as Iesus, and Iesus is translated into the English as Jesus. So actually when we're looking at Yeshua, Joshua, Iesu, Jesus is his name. It would be in the Greek anyway, Jesus. So this is the message that's so important. We find this phrase three times in the first chapter. I would like you to go in your Bible and underline this. You'll find it three times in the first chapter in verse 6 and verse 9 and verse 18. Same phrase, be strong and courageous. Anytime a phrase like this is used three times in one chapter, it means it's emphasized in a great way. Fear is our great enemy in life. We all have to face it every single day. But God does not leave us without support, without encouragement, and without help. We have over 5,000 promises in the Bible. These promises should be a great comfort to us and help us and encourage us to do what is needed. So Joshua needed this encouragement from the Lord. We all do when we're standing there looking at the giants on the other side of a swollen river. I bet some of the Israelites were glad that there was a big river that seemed to be impassable between them and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the 
I want to say parasites. <laughs> but before uh, they were going to be able to do this, uh, what they had to do was what we call faith rest. That may be a new term to some of you. For some of you, it's an old friend. You've been doing it for years. And so we're going to take a look at faith rest. Just what does faith rest mean? This is one of the fundamental principles that every believer needs to acquire. Faith rest essentially means when you have faith, when you trust the Lord, then you can rest. That doesn't mean you quit your job, you sit upon your porch in a rocker. That's not that kind of rest. It's the kind of rest up between your ears and your soul to where you are no longer worrying, you're not anxious, you're trusting the Lord, you have faith in Him, then you can rest, and that's where the rest really counts. They say that stress is one of the biggest killers of our day. And when you faith rest, stress does not penetrate your soul. So the first thing you do in order to be able to have this supernatural rest in your soul is to claim a promise. There's one thing you have to do, though, before you can claim a promise. You have to know a promise. Out of the 5,000 promises in the Bible, how many do you know? Now, we're going to have each person stand up. (laughs) No, we're not going to do that. But you should have some favorite promises. We have one in our text that we're going to cover today. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will never let you down. I will not fail you. Is that, that's an easy one to remember, isn't it? Whenever you're facing the dragon, the giant, whatever it is in your life, what a comfort to know that God is saying, I am the creator of the universe. I am omnipotent. That means omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. He loves you, and he's going to do all these things for you, and he never leaves us or forsakes us. What a great promise that is. So the first thing we do is claim a promise. Maybe for some of you it might be learn a promise. You need to learn a few promises, and then you need to... You need to uh, claim it. The next thing we do, come on here. Let me open this up bigger. That's why it's not working. There. Now it works. Okay. Concentrate on doctrine using a rationale. See, what, what the promise does is stabilize you. It helps you to uh, calm down. Get off the panic button and start thinking. Because that's what happens in fear is we usually are no longer thinking. We're just emoting. The emotions take over. Our thinking process shuts down. And sometimes our body even uh, does things to us. Uh, It can literally shake sometimes. I can remember when I went on my first date, uh, I had a little body problem. I, uh, the girl's name was Dana McKelvey. And I went to her. Back then, you went, you went on a date. You would go to their house, and you would go in and meet the family. She didn't tell me that her dad was a policeman that was 6'6". <laughs> and I was completely off guard when he opened the door in uniform, 6'6", and said, What do you want? 
my knees doing this number. And I'm thinking, wow, just all of a sudden, what happened? Instantly. I was a bit nervous anyway, but when he opened it, I thought she was going to answer the door. And I had all made up what I was going to say to her. So when he said, what do you want? And I was, uh, 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 you know, I had to get it going. Uh, uh, Hello, sir. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, So we have to, claiming a promise calms that down. It needs to be simple. If you can memorize a long promise and and it means a lot to you, fine. But it might be in a jam when the pressure is really on. It's just, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, what a comfort. He's there. So you can concentrate on a uh, doctrine using a a rationale is just a reasonable and appropriate um, way to look at things. Uh, A rationale is is reasonable. And everything about God's Word is reasonable. So you start to concentrate on some doctrine. Now again, before this faith rest is going to work, you have to know a promise. Then you have to know a little bit of doctrine. You have to be able to connect a few dots theologically in order to claim a promise and then a doctrine rationale. And here's the first one is the essence of God rationale. How much do you know about God? What is God all about? To some people, he's kind of like a fuzzy figure, a little bit like the guy behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, He's big and he's scary and he might do things for you, that type of thing. Well, that's not going to get you very far. So let's take a look. You notice I have the essence box under here. What is the essence box? Well, I have one. Some of you are already seeing it in your mind, aren't you? Because some of you have seen it before. And here it is. All it is is the attributes of God. What is God like? He's justice. He's righteousness. Justice means he's always fair. fair. Righteousness means he's always right. Love, type of love he has transcends anything that we can even understand. Uh, the next one is one of my favorite ones, immutability. That mean, means God does not change. What if he was a great God today, but next week, maybe not so much. We can always count on him and his attributes being perfectly intact because it's impossible for him to change. He has eternal life, which means he's eternal. He's not going to be here Uh, today and be gone next month he's omniscience now that looks like omniscience and actually that's what it is omni means all and all inclusive and science means knowledge so omniscience pronounced omniscience means that he knows everything time is no element with god he knew in eternity past everything that was going to take place all the way till eternity future we have a consciousness and a subconsciousness. In other words, there's a lot of things that you know, but you're not thinking about them right now. At least I hope you're not. Uh, this is, it's like a hard drive. It's all in your memory. The b- memory banks are there. And, and uh, it, uh, your, your subconscious is really where all that is. And bring it into your consciousness 
is when you're actually thinking about it. So whatever you're thinking about right now is in your consciousness, your conscience of it. But your subconscious is where all your memory and everything else is stored. We can't think about all that we know at the same time, can we? We can only take out a little bit at a time and think about it and bring it into our consciousness, into our memory, into our stream of consciousness that we're working with right now. But God's not that way. He can think of everything that he knows, and he knows everything, and he thinks about it all the time. So he's thinking about you right now, and he already knew in eternity past what you would be thinking right now about him and about the essence box. Is that a scary thing for you? It shouldn't be. If you're concentrating, you're going to be thinking, Wow, what a great God. Aren't you glad he doesn't change? Aren't you glad he's just and righteous and that he's eternal? Omnipresence means you can't hide from God. You can go to the farthest corner of this earth. If you could get in a spaceship, go to the farthest corner of the universe, God is there. Wherever you are, he is there. You have omnipotence. Oh, this is great. But again, we have omni, which means all. And uh, potence means powerful. He's all-powerful. What if God loved you? What if God knew about your problem? What if he's just and righteous, but the only problem, he's a little bit on the weak side? We'd have a big problem, wouldn't we? We would have a huge problem, but God is omnipotent. There's nothing that is too powerful or too hard for God. Did you hear that? A lot of you have problems. I mean, serious problems. We talked about one today about the family whose house burned down. That's a huge problem. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us in verse 18 to give thanks in all things. Can you give thanks for that? Well, you can if you understand God, understand his plan. And the last one is sovereignty. God is in charge. He is the boss of the universe. So when you start thinking about these things, you're thinking about God's, uh, oh, I left it out, didn't I? Veracity. Why didn't somebody tell me? Veracity. Is that important? How important could his promises be if he doesn't always tell the truth? If it's impossible for God to lie and he makes promises, is that something that you can... Take to the bank, so to speak? Absolutely. So when you're thinking about God and His essence, what happens is the problem, the thing that you may be afraid of, the challenge before you gets smaller and smaller because you recognize God wants to be glorified and the way He's glorified is for us to trust Him. And when we trust Him, He is obligated by His very Word that is also immutable, that he is going to take care of matters for us. He will walk us through the storm. Now, you might be praying, oh, God, please, around the storm, go this left or right. I don't care. Not, not forward. Let's go this way. And it might not be that way. Sometimes he may, for his, whatever his will is to do that. But most of the time, I know I'm going to take you through the storm because I'm going to show you how faithful I am. I'm going to show you how powerful I am. I want to show you how knowledgeable I am. This brings glory to God. And then things start to come in focus and we are able to 
accomplish the first part of the faith rest drill. So back to our faith rest drill. We call it a drill because we do it so often. Claim a promise. Concentrate on using a rationale. The essence of God is a rationale. It's a reasonable thought process. There's another rationale which is called logistical grace rationale. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it means that you are part of God's family. He is your parents, so to speak. And he commands us to be good parents, to take care of your children's needs. You need to clothe them. You need to feed them. You need to house them, take care of their medical uh, problems, whatever, their, their education, all these things. God does the same for us. And it doesn't matter if you are a believer that's not even interested in him. You are still his child. If your child, if you got crossways with your child, would you say, okay, no more food for you. You're going to buy your own clothes. Move out. You're not living here anymore. We don't do that to our children, do we? God doesn't do it to us. So God is going to provide everything logistically. That means clothes and food and shelter, health, everything, transportation, everything that we need in order to fulfill his plan. Now that should be huge to so many people today who are facing calamity. So many of them have lost their jobs. There's no job in prospect. There's no prospect, nothing. And their mortgage is due. That is a time for faith rest, is it not? And there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in that shape today. They need to understand logistical grace. But let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to mark, when you get there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I want you to mark to the left of Matthew 6:25 in large letters L period G period. That stands for logistical grace, or you can abbreviate it L O G period G R period. Or if you're a small writer and neat, write logistical grace. Now I want you to highlight it. I want you to make it noticeable in your Bible. Because we don't know what's around the bend. And it's very important for us to be able to go to our Bible, find this, and let it soothe our soul. In fact, in the back of my Bible, I have blank sheets. Well, they're not blank anymore. I wrote these. Uh, for instance, I would go to uh, the back of your Bible today, and I would put a little title at the top, just a little section there, and put, logistical grace, and then I would just write down the verses that I'm going to give you with regards to logistical grace. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? 
I want you to circle the word worried. That's the enemy. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. <coughs> well, I missed one here. Wait a minute. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You might put there, no faith rest. Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And underline that whole sentence and star it. Put a star there. We are to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, this was written during the age of the Jews, and they were seeking the kingdom. We're not seeking the kingdom, but we are seeking to be approved by God. We are seeking to glorify God. And when we're doing that, all these things, what you eat, what you wear, where you live, all these things are going to be added to you. God's going to see to it. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, if we were amen in church, there would be a lot of amens right there. If you want to amen sometimes, I don't care. We just don't want to get carried away with it. And I'm not soliciting an, an amen here. But I'm just reading aloud what you're probably thinking. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So there you have uh, other Pages back here. See, they're not blessed. Good. Psalm 55 sustains to be righteousness, and that is Psalm 22. Psalm 55, 22. Philippians 4, 6. Beyond it was uh, Philippians 4, 5. Suffering, struggling, and grappling. We are to give it to the Lord, and then He's going to take care of it. Let your request be made known to Philippians 6. One is a corner of that, Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares or anxieties to That's 1 Peter 5, 7. He wants God wants your problems. Give him your problems. <laughs> Start out staying right close. You might notice what's going on, but that's not God. He wants your problems. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, those last two words are so important. Aren't they, young people? In Christ. They're going to be tested on that, say, Wednesday. Um, it means that 
we are God's children and every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. They're already there. Our blessings are there. God is just waiting for us to start trusting Him and faith resting so He can give us more of them. Psalm 34, verse 9 through 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. Did you hear that? Fear the Lord. Most of the time, we're told, fear not. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, because I am your God. I will help thee. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's Isaiah 41.10, which happens to be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it says, fear not. But here, in Psalm 34, verses 9 through 10, it says, oh, fear the Lord. That means respect the Lord. If you want to fear something, fear the Lord. That's okay. So, O fear of the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Is that a good promise? That's Psalm 34, verses 9 through 10. Then we have one of my favorites in Lamentation chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. Lamentation three twenty one through 23. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. I have confidence. See, there's something in the mind already that you can draw from. That's why we continually come to church and Bible class and we get this information so that we can draw from it later. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. I have confidence. The Lord's loving kindness, His grace, Indeed, never ceases. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that is Lamentation chapter 3 and verse 21 through 23. And that is a that's a wonderful verse, is it not? It's in Lamentations. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to this one. You can write it down in your list. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, but I want you to turn to it. Did I tell you Second Peter or First Peter? Okay, that's right. I was going to tell you Second Peter comes right after First Peter, but I don't want to be a smart aleck. But First Peter comes after James. First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, verse three. Let's start with verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Underline knowledge. The Greek word there is epinosis. That's full knowledge. That's knowledge that you have your soul. It's on the front lines. 
Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, seeing that his divine power, do you see the essence box in these verses as we go? His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining, pertaining to life and godliness. You, you get that? Is that pretty all-inclusive? And you notice that in the past tense, it's already happened. He has already granted everything pertaining to life. That would just be life in general and godliness, which is in the spiritual realm. Through the true knowledge, underlying knowledge again, you always have to connect knowledge with these things because you can't faith rest if you don't have knowledge of any promises. If you don't know about uh, logistical grace, if you don't know about the essence of God, it's not going to work. So seeing that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge, epinosis again, of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. That excellence is the Greek word arete, A-R-E-T-E, and it's referring to really virtue, by His own virtue. So those are a few of the logistical grace verses that you can depend on. You have them in the back of your Bible. And if you really aren't that interested in these logistical grace verses, it may be that God may just challenge you a bit to where you might be thinking, I wish I'd have wrote those down. What were they? Well, if you wrote them down, now you have them to incorporate the next thing is the plan of God rationale. God has a plan for your life. And since you know what His essence is all about, He's able to do everything necessary in order for you to fulfill His plan. Why wouldn't He? He created the universe. He has complete control over it. And when you are willing, He is able to provide everything for you to fulfill His plan. So when you apply these doctrinal rationales to the problem, then you can enjoy, guess what? Rest. I don't know how many people we have here. We have quite a few people here today. I don't know. There may be someone here that is having a hard time concentrating because they're static. There's things swirling around in their soul because they're not at rest. How would you like to put an end to the static? How would you like to quiet the noise in your soul. This is the way to do it. Concentrate on God, His promises, His logistical grace, His plan for you, the essence box. All these things help you to calm down so that you can watch God do mighty things for you. This is what He's doing for the Israelites. He is encouraging them and that they will not be afraid. So that was the essence of God, the logistical, logistical grace and the plan of God rationales that when you use them, they work. And they work 100% of the time. So we have be strong. Let's go back to our... Book of Joshua, Yeshua, 
And guess what? That's the cow imperative. That means God is not suggesting this. He is commanding it. And the Hebrew word there is kazak. C-H-A-Z-A-Q. It means to bind together in order to strengthen. A mind determined to act with resolution, firmness, intrepidity, steadfastness, and constancy. And that is in opposition to what may be there, which is faint-heartedness and indifference and timorous. That's a new word maybe, huh? T-I-M-O-R-O-U-S. And it means to be timid. It means to be faint-hearted. In order to meet the challenge, you have to have a strength that comes from outside of you. The next phrase here, the next two words, and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The word courageous in the Hebrew is amats, A-M-A-T-S. It also is a cal imperative. These are two commands by God. It means to be strong and to be resolute, vigorous, to act with great spirit and undaunted courage. These two words are combined to denote intrepidity, fearlessness, and a resolute mind. And I got that from that quote from Wilson's Old Testament Word Studies, page 425, if anybody's interested. The first time these words are put together is in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 3 through 8. Let's go there. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 31, 3 through 8. <clears throat> this is more encouragement that God was giving these Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 3. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you he will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them just as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will deliver them up before you, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Verse 6, circle that one. That's where we were headed. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, of, be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. This is also repeated in the New Testament, by the way. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. Underline that again. Over and over we see that. For you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, 
and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. Verse 8. And the Lord is the one who will go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Go ahead and circle that one too. Aren't those great scriptures? I don't know what your problems are today, what you're facing. But I doubt that they are of more magnitude than what the Israelites were facing. A raging river, people who were bigger than them, stronger, mean, outnumbered. And God said, go. I'd say faith rest was in order for them, wouldn't you? But they were, they were not without encouragement and help. You have His promise. God is, has perfect veracity. He cannot lie. So when He says He was going to go before them, and I don't know, I probably won't have time to get to it today, but there's a scripture that says that He was going to go before them like a consuming fire. Boy, I don't know. That just let's, let's, let's cross the river. Let's go. They had a leader, Joshua, and his buddy, Caleb, still around. They had already said, let's go before. I'm ready. Let's get after them. They had so much faith in God, they're ready to go giant hunting with a switch. Actually, it was God, the one that was going to do the fighting. Verse 7. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be able to have success wherever you go. So again, we have be strong. Uh, this time, though, look at what it said. One other word, very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all things that he had commanded to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you see when he says do all the law up to this point the only scriptures that were extant were the first five books of the Bible which were the law and so that's why he's saying the law that's all they had that's what the scriptures consisted of at that time and do not turn from it to the right or to the left so we have here conditions that must be met in order to carry out the mandate to be strong and courageous. So that you have success wherever you go. Now we have blessings promised to be received with, when one develops the courage and strength to be faithfully obedient. I'll try to show you what this is like. I've, I've tried to simplify this for you. First of all, we have the promise, I will never fail you or forsake you. Now, this is a promise, a promise of encouragement, and it encouraged them to be obedient, to do what God said. So first of all, we have the promise, which motivates obedience. And then he says, do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Now, that's what the, the promise 
encouraged them to be obedient and they were to stick with the law. Whatever the law said, whatever the Scripture said there, do it. Don't deviate even a little bit. If you, get, if you deviate in Scripture just a little bit, let's say one degree down here, and as you go in life and as things continue, that, one, that little one degree that's very short here is going to be a huge chasm after a while. So you stick with what exactly what's on course for you. So you are to be obedient, but the obedience pays off because look what happens. You wind up being strong and courageous. You have the promise, encourages you to be obedient. The obedience is not to turn from the Scriptures, and it, will, it pays off because then through those Scriptures, through being obedient, you're going to be strong and courageous. And the blessing of that is that you're going to have success wherever you go. You see how it progresses there? That's what this verse is telling us. Here's another way to look at it. We all are royal priests. According to the Bible, it says that we in the church age are priests. You ladies are priests. This never happened before because there is neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither free nor bond. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are all royal priests. We're royal because we are in Christ. Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. We share that royalty. So we are a royal priest. And this is how it occurs. This is how it comes about. Part of our priesthood means that it all starts with positive volition. We make a decision to get the Word. Here you have the Holy Bible. And even you can be in church... And the pastor can be teaching doctrine, but if you don't have positive volition, it is never going to stick. You won't remember it. It'll be gone, and you miss that opportunity. So positive volition means you're plugged in. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're concentrating. When you make that decision, you get the Word. That's going to bring about this spiritual strength that we're talking about. Be strong. And the spiritual strength is actually confidence in God. The confidence in God, you see, is directed towards God. Confidence going towards God. That's how, and this is called motivational virtue. In other words, when you have positive volition, you get the Word, it develops confidence towards God. It's a motivating force. And that motivating force, you can call it a virtue, is invisible and private. Nobody sees your innermost thoughts, your thinking, your relationship with God. It's invisible to anyone else. doesn't mean it's not real, but it's invisible. This is the part of our priesthood. Now, we are also royal ambassadors. Here's the ambassadorship here. And the ambassadorship also means it, it kind of starts after we have the confidence in God. So we have confidence in God. See, your priesthood, all this comes first. It's your spiritual growth. It's that spiritual momentum in your priesthood that has to do with your relationship with God, which is invisible, that is going to motivate you in your ambassadorship. Your ambassadorship is, is visible. It's different than your priesthood. So the confidence in God motivates courage towards men and circumstances. Here you have confidence, which is directed towards God, motivates you 
now to have confidence, that confidence motivates courage towards men and circumstances. That's how you fulfill. Uh, be strong and courageous. Both your priesthood and your ambassadorship is involved. The ambassadorship has a function. See, this is motivational virtue. This is function. Now you're actually functioning. You're doing something. It's visible and public. That means that you can see it happen. And this is what you have to do in order to be strong and courageous. You have to have both your priesthood and your ambassadorship in gear, but it's always your priesthood that comes first. If you, if you just take all this out, if I, I, I should have had a slide. I just erased all this part up here, and you start down here, and you're trying to have courage towards other men and circumstances, it's going to fail miserably because it's not even going to be in the power that comes up. Here's the power source up here. This is, what, this is where your faith resting. This is where all that, that uh, motivation comes from. If you don't understand that your relationship with God always comes first, then comes the courage and the strength. Some people try to do it on their own. If you leave that top part out, how successful are you going to be? It's the difference between using your power and God's power. Now, which one would you rather use? This must come first up here. Look at this. It all starts with positive volition. Recently, I was at a place, and there was another pastor there from another. It was a denominational pastor. And he was asked, uh, what is the volition like at your church? Is there much positive volition? And he said, volition? They didn't register. We're talking about your deciding factor. You have free will. Volition is based on what you want, your drive, whatever it is. Positive volition is the spark that starts everything. Do you see that? If you're here and you have positive volition and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then this is filling your soul. You're satisfied. Oh, this is great. I can use this. But if you're not positive, if you don't really want to be here, you're here because, you know, somebody drug you here, or you just, well, I'm supposed to Sunday, go to church, show up, all right, and there you are. I did that for decades not decades, at least a decade, when I was at home, my dad said well, he was a deacon of a church, and when those church doors were open, we were there. And I used to sit. Uh, uh, there, was no, there was no choice as far as I was concerned. I obeyed my dad. He said, we're going to church. I started getting dressed. And we would be in the auditorium. It was a big church, probably three times bigger than this at least. And I always try to sit on the back row. That way you're not as obvious. And I, I thought I was so slick. I'd put my Bible up like this, get it right here. And I'd look around at everybody, you know, and then I'd look down like I'm reading. <laughs> See, when your head's down like this, you can't tell whether your eyes are shut or not. Probably somebody, if they ever paid any attention, would notice I never turned a page. They would go to scriptures, and I'm still <laughs> like this. 
I was there. Sometimes I even heard it. I was awake to hear it. But you know what it meant to me? Zilt, nada, nothing. And the reason was right here. I had no positive volition. And there was another problem too. They weren't teaching the Word. It was a bunch of moralism, gobbledygook. And I got tired of it. And when I left home, I didn't go to church for a year. Nobody was making me go to church. And I got to where I hated church. And it's all because no positive volition and no doctrine. Now, when you're free, when you have left the nest, so to speak, if you have positive volition, this is coming. The Word is coming. You know what I'm talking about? If you want to know God's Word and you're not locked in a... In a, in a young people have to obey their children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we erase that? <laughs> Do we have an editor? Young people have to obey their parents. And so they're stuck. But if you're, if you're not in that situation and you're free, if you have positive volition, you want to learn God's Word. You want to, know, you want to learn formulas like that and put them into use, then God is going to bring it about. He is faithful to His Word to do that. Now, unfortunately, some of you will leave today, maybe. And the only thing you will meet, guess what the pastor said? He said, the children got to obey their, their, their children. <laughs> is that what I said? Children got to obey? Well, anyway. Uh, I used to do that. I used to look for little quirks. Or One of the things we're going to see, and I'm, I'm past time, I'm going to have to end, but one of the things that we're, we're going to get to next time, I was hoping to get to it this time, is the command for Joshua from God that he was to think about it, a doctrine. He was to talk about it, and he was to do it. And unfortunately, I went to a lot of churches when people left. They would talk about everything except what was taught. Everything except the Word of God. And if you have that mindset, that all you get from it is what so-and-so was wearing or some little uh, cute saying or whatever else it might be, you are not going to be strong and courageous. And you will not be able to fulfill God's plan. You will never cross the river. You will never take over the land. And you will regret it. And there's no use in it because we have such great promises that God has given us. Like everyone, please bow your heads now. Someone may be here that the issue is confused about their eternal salvation to begin with. And we're talking about the spiritual dynamics for believers who have already made that decision. But if you haven't made that decision, for you, this time is set apart so that you can focus on who and what Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He went to the cross to die for your sins. He accomplished that. He was buried and rose from the grave and now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. Going to heaven isn't about being good. Going to heaven isn't about 
you. It's about Christ. And he completed it on the cross. One of the last things he said on the cross was, it is finished. Now, the choice you make and your volition is, am I going to trust Jesus Christ and his work for me on the cross, or am I going to trust my own good works? Good works will put you at the great white throne judgment where you will be indicted by those works and spend eternity in the lake of fire. It's a free gift. All you have to do to be saved is to believe in Jesus Christ, and you can do that right now. Now, Father, we thank you for the encouragements that you gave to Joshua because it is also an encouragement to us. There are many giants in the land, and yet you are a consuming fire. We have nothing to fear. We have everything to be courageous. Everything that we face, we need to have courage and be thankful for who and what you are. And we pray that you will help us to meditate upon these things, to talk about them, and to do them. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.